Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Kali Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, we'll unveil the first batch of announced shows at the soon-to-be-inaugurated Iron Horse Music Hall in Northampton. And we talk with their executive director, Chris Freeman. We'll take you down the street from the Iron Horse to a butcher shop that prides itself on ethically raised sourced and butchered meats and has been the envy on New York ex- of New York expats since it opened a decade ago. A local hero spotlight on Sutter Meats on King Street. And more of the Year of the Dragon, celebrating Lunar New Year with Linda Hill and Cecilia Chan of the Western Massachusetts Chinese Association. They'll join us to talk about their full day of Chinese New Year activities planned for this Saturday in Florence. Plus, we'll hear from some of you with the Mondegreens, Eggcorns, and Spoonerisms you wanted to share after our Word Nerd segment yesterday. But first... Time for our weekly check-in with U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts, Congressman Jim McGovern, McGovern,ing with McGovern. Before we get into some of the more serious political stuff, what was your take on the Dung Kings ad? Dung Kings! There is nobody that I know that likes Dunkin' Donuts more than Congressman Jim McGovern, except possibly Ben Affleck. How do you like them donuts? I'm so sorry. You had to see it, but I forgive you. What did you think of the uh, the Super Bowl ad? You know what? I, I, I'm of mixed opinion. I, I, mean, I, thought, I thought it was good, but I didn't think it was that great. But anyway, that's oh. just me. Well, you are, you, still, you're in line with Brooke Hauser from Northampton, who is the former editor of the Daily Hampshire Gazette, who now writes for the Boston mm-hmm. Globe. And she had a she had a hit piece on the, the viral Duncan ad. I thought it was hilarious. And I hate Duncan. I mean, I, I, you know... Well, I like that. It gave me, it made me smile, but it was fine. Okay, you're not going to get one of those jumpsuits then, I guess. I think I'll pass. You could wear it on the food bank march next year. I could, I could. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, maybe I'll rethink this. Okay, good. Just outside the 413, but in your district, Congressman, in Lemonster, FEMA has recommended to deny federal emergency management relief to Lemonster after those significant floods of last year. Tell us uh, your take on that decision and and what the federal government might be able to do now that FEMA seems to be passing on uh, offering relief to Lemonster. I think it's a stupid decision by FEMA. Um, By the way, People who need relief, it's not just Lemon said, there are other communities across the Commonwealth, but they denied it saying that the claim wasn't big enough. Well, it's huge for a community like Lemonster, and it's also huge for Massachusetts. And the deal is, is that the storms that we are seeing now are changing in, in, in where they where they're concentrated. The storm in Lemonster was it just stayed in one place for an unusually long period of time and flooded Lemonster in a way that caused all kinds of damage to infrastructure as well as homes and rivers overflowed. I mean, we're asking them to reconsider. I talked to the FEMA director a couple of weeks ago about this, and quite frankly, I'm not impressed uh, with her decision. And um, and I called the White House and made it very clear that uh, this is unconscionable, uh, and they had to get somebody out to Lemonster uh, and actually spend some time in the community and observe the damage firsthand. But we're going to fight this. Is it fightable, or is it sh- simply a math problem here that they, it's beyond their control? I think everything's fightable, quite <laughs> frankly. And, uh, you know, and, and if... If, they, if, they, if FEMA can't help them, then find somebody who can. But the idea that the response is this is not a big enough claim or this is FEMA doesn't focus on things that uh, are this, in their opinion, inconsequential. This is huge for Lemonster and it, 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 millions and millions and millions of dollars in damage that, you know, quite frankly, the state cannot absorb um, and neither can the community. So we'll see what happens, but we're not done yet. The big political news story late last week over the weekend and even into Jon Stewart's return to The Daily Show has to do with a report 
an investigation from uh, Robert Hur, the special counsel, where he did find out that President Biden shouldn't be charged with willfully retaining classified documents, but added to this report language about uh, Biden's at times faulty memory. This, you know, then aggravates this notion that Biden is too old and unfit for office. What's your take on the Hur report and the chatter subsequently that's come out since? Well, I think it was kind of a political hit job. Um, you know, he's a Republican who I think wanted to do some damage to Biden, and, and he knew that there was no there there in terms of the investigation. So he, you know, took this cheap shot at him. But hey, I mean, you know, it's Joe Biden uh, is not the one who confuses Nancy Pelosi and Nikki Haley. Um, and so Joe Biden, uh, you know, is not the guy saying that uh, Russia should invade our NATO allies. So. I mean, if you want to talk about somebody who's unstable and unfit, it's the other guy. I mean, do do I wish Joe Biden were 10 years younger? Yeah, I wish I were 10 years younger, too. But uh, this election is not about a beauty contest, and uh, it's about issues, and it's about our democracy. And so I get it. You know, people are going to chatter you know, and react to these things. But at the end of the day, we're just going to have to you know, understand that this, this election coming up is about our democracy. And the choices we have are Joe Biden and Donald Trump. I'm with Joe Biden, and you know I, I was with him last week at our Democratic Issues Retreat. We had a good conversation. He keeps a schedule that uh, would exhaust any of us, um, and you know I think he's doing a good job. There was an opinion piece in the New York Times last weekend, basically saying Biden should run through the gauntlet of primaries, but then at the convention say that he does not want to seek office again and that let the Democratic National Convention pick a new candidate for president of the United States. Is there any meaningful discussion that anything like that might happen within the Democratic caucus, given that there are people uh, that do have concerns about Biden's age, about Biden's memory, about uh, Biden's elocution, about his ability to, you know, to speak publicly, et cetera? I have not heard any serious conversation about about such a scenario, you know, and I, and I also think that there's candidates for president that actually ought to go through primaries. Uh, uh, one is because you get vetted and, you know, people get to know you better. And, but I don't, I haven't heard anything like that. And look, and I don't expect that to happen, but again, I would just re- get to have people refocus their attention on what the choices are. It's Joe Biden or is Donald Trump. I, I know what a Donald Trump presidency will bring to this country and will do to the world. I mean, I'd vote for a chair over Donald Trump. I, I think we have to refocus our attention on what's at stake here. I mean, I, I will tell you, and I'm not exaggerating, I, the fate of our, our democracy is at stake, and we can't be distracted by these things. We have to focus in on the issues and what matters and what will make this country stronger and better. Speaking with U.S. Congressman Jim McGovern, as we do every Thursday, McGovern,ing with McGovern, the Republicans... Last week, were unable to successfully impeach uh, Mayorkas. This week, it seems that they got their act together and were able to impeach Mayorkas uh, in response to not liking his job with the border. There was a failed vote on the rules for SALT, which is this tax-related marriage penalty bill. There was a failed attempt to pass a rule on FISA, the Federal Intelligence Surveillance Act, which may or may not be a good thing, depending on how you feel about uh, surveillance and how that act has manifested itself over the years. But... In the House Republican caucus, there will be one fewer Republican now that a Democrat will fill George Santos's seat. Does that mean any major changes for your congressional math in the House? Is it a bellwether for um, souring views on Republicans? What's your take on a Democrat now filling George Santos' seat and the Republicans at least slightly coming together? Yeah, I, I do think it's somewhat of a bellwether. I mean, this was uh, a race. The Republicans thought they could 
hold on to. It was George Santos' seat. Uh, it's trending Republican more and more. And, you know, not only did Tom Swazi win, but he won by something like seven or eight points. You know, it wasn't even close. And I, and I think I'm listening to some of the reaction of, of voters who are interviewed when they're going to the polls. You know, one of the things that was brought up over and over again was that they're tired of Republicans who do nothing but complain and they're not interested in solutions. And I may have said this to you before, but I mean, you know, I'm, I'm on the rules committee and every bill that comes to the House floor comes from the rules committee, uh, every bill of consequence. And the last time the rules committee sent the bill to the House floor that was actually signed into law was nine months ago. These, these guys are incompetent. They're not fit to govern. They lose not only bills in terms of up or down votes on the floor, they lose rules, which is, which is unheard of. I mean, they control the rules committee. And that's There's what happened with that SALT of, bill and the, and the FISA bill, right? Yeah, like it, it was is, killed yeah, before it even was to, brought to the House, even right, though they're in yeah. control of that committee and yeah. in control of the House. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I've just never seen it like this. This is the sixth rule that they lost. This to themselves. Unheard of. Yeah, to them, yeah, they're losing their own proposals to even consider bills. I think people are tired of that. People, at the, at the end of the day, I think people just want us to get stuff done. And if that means compromising, then you got to compromise. If that means, you know, uh, not compromising, but you got to stand your ground, so be it. But at the end of the day, they want to see something happen. And this is a majority that just doesn't do anything. All the bills we, we brought up this week, you even mentioned Pfizer. I'm glad that it's going down because... I actually believe in the right to privacy, and I think the bill as it's drafted would compromise that significantly. But all these bills, you know, are reruns. We're like Nick at night. I mean, it's like we're doing the same things over and over and over again. Please do not call the Republicans Nick at night. I love Nick at night. That was very formative in the 90s for me. Well, this is not only the do-nothing Congress. It's the do-nothing over and over Congress. And it's it's ridiculous. I, I think the voters in New York have had enough. You know, the Republicans trying to make the issue of the border, you know, the central theme. You know, voters saw what happened. I mean, there was an attempt to try to come to a bipartisan compromise. And the Speaker of the House, at the behest of Donald Trump, said, I don't want you to do anything. I don't want the solution. I want a campaign issue. And I think people can screw that and they're tired of it. Yeah, you posted a valentine from uh, the Speaker of the House yesterday. Roses are red. Violets are blue. The border deal was crushed because of you. Actually, the White House posted that. Yeah. You you retweeted it. I just retweeted it, yeah. I, I can't take credit for that. Other yeah. than I don't know what level of poetry exists in the Biden White House, but <laughs> you can have that. Uh, speaking with U.S. Congressman Jim McGovern, in your district and then just outside your district, two town governing bodies, uh, one in Amherst with the town council and in East Hampton with their town council, are thinking about considering resolutions calling for either a ceasefire, a ceasefire release of hostages, a peaceful resolution to the war in Gaza. It looks like that Amherst will vote on it on the 26th. East Hampton, which I know is not in your district, but would be going to your colleague, Richie Neal. How important are these local initiatives to persuading federal delegations? Would it be persuasive to you if the Amherst Town Council were to pass anything? Would Congressman Neal be open to hearing about this? And then what's the next step when local governments like Amherst and East Hampton want to get involved in international global politics of this scale? Well, I do, I do think it matters. I think, I think everything matters. Whether it persuades somebody or not, I, I think you have to pay attention to what town councils or city councils you know, vote on in terms of issues like this. Look, I favor a, a ceasefire, and I want the hostages released. This has to stop. And I think people can be both outraged and horrified by Hamas's brutal and vicious attack against Israel on October 7th and also condemn the taking of hostages, which is a violation of 
international law and also be horrified by the destruction of Gaza and the death toll and the, and the continued bombing and the loss of life of innocent children. And it's horrifying. Speaking up and making your voices heard, I think is always important. And uh, I think people are, are focused on what's happening and they want to do something. And this is an important thing to do. And we just got to figure out a way to not only get a ceasefire, but we need to, we need, we need to have a lasting peace here uh, that not only ensures Israel's security, uh, but also guarantees the Palestinians a state um, in which that is economically viable, that is their own, that, that can flourish and actually give the Palestinians what they have not had for years and years and years, and that is some dignity. And there's a lot that we need to do. I'm, I'm trying to get the White House to formally recognize the Palestinian state on its own. I, I don't I don't think they have to, they have to wait. I mean, they, they ought to just acknowledge it. And uh, we're all horrified by what is happening, justifiably so. And the discussion on this is not this or that. It's complicated, but it begins with a ceasefire. And, and getting these hostages released. So I would welcome that. U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts joins us every Thursday. You can send your questions to the congressman at his office, or you can email us at thefab413 at nepm.org, and I'm happy to ask questions on your behalf. Talk to you again next week. Congressman, thanks so much. All the best. Thanks. Later in the show, we'll party like it's the year of the dragon, because it's the year of the dragon when we talk with Linda Hill and Cecilia Chen of the Western Massachusetts Chinese Association about their Lunar New Year celebration at Smithvoke this Saturday. And nothing says Lunar New Year like pork. We'll chat with the butchers at Sutter Meats in Northampton for a local hero spotlight. Actually, you want more fish than pork on New Year's, but we'll get into that perhaps. But next... The year of the horse, the Iron Horse, that is. They are set to reopen on May 15th, and Chris Freeman from the Iron Horse will reveal who the first artists gracing that hollowed stage will be. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Chris Freeman, who is the president of the board of the Parlor Room Collective. Oh, no. Not quite. Not quite. Almost. Take two. Chris Freeman who is the executive director at the Parlor Room, which is the body doing business as the Iron Horse. Today is the day, Chris, that you said a couple weeks ago you were going to announce the lineup of the first dates at the newly reopened Iron Horse. And while the initial opening date may have changed, we are going to hear some of that lineup today. So tell us when the Iron Horse is slated to open as of now, Chris. So the first shows that we're announcing are for May 15th. Um, and we expect that we could be open even before that, but given uh, the just unknown nature of construction, we're playing it safe and we really we feel really, really confident that these shows starting on May 15th will, will happen. That's a good way to do it. Soft opening, which isn't just fun to say or experience. Oh, why? <laughs> it is a good business practice to get into it. So you'll be up and running for sure by May 15th. And today we're going to hear about some of the artists that will be playing at the Iron Horse. But before, well, let's let's tantalize the listeners for a little bit. <laughs> who are some of the artists historically who have played this venue that come to mind when you think of the Iron Horse, Chris? Well, let's just go with the artists that performed at the Grammys this year. Why don't we limit ourselves to to that? Okay. In which case, I was watching the Grammys and seeing Iron Horse alumni all over the place. Tracy Chapman, for one. Brandi Carlisle is another. 
Sister Strings was on stage with yeah. Brandy Carlisle and Joni Mitchell Amazing. performing uh, pretty much that entire Lucius. The whole performance was made up of Iron Horse alums, as well as Wynton Marsalis and Beck and Derek Trucks. And the list can go on for, well, we're, we've been spending many, many months trying to compile the whole list. But it goes on forever. <laughs> That's going to be much welcome because I love looking up the historical things. And for those who wonder, like, why have they been talking to this Chris Freeman guy about the Iron Horse so much on this show? That's a little glimpse as to why. You're seeing music history be made at the Grammys with the return of Tracy Chapman to the stage with that tribute to Joni Mitchell that happened. And so many of those people have touch points into our backyard in Northampton because of the Iron Horse. Mm-hmm. And that is about to happen again in mid-May. So Chris Freeman, executive director of the Parlor Room slash the Iron Horse, what are the first shows we will expect at the newly reopened, refurbished, better bathroom, better barred Iron Horse Music Hall? This bit is so chomped. Please, please rescue it. (laughs) The grand opening will be on May 15th with uh, Rachel and Vilray with special guest Taylor Ashton. So that is Rachel Price of Lake Street Dive in a, a side project of Lake Street Dive doing some really cool retro jazz things. The Rachel Villeray project is great. It sounds like it's called from the Great American Songbook, but it's new. It's their own original stuff by and large that Villeray writes and Rachel Price's voice from Lake Street Dive sings so nicely. best friend's boyfriend once nearly cooked a meal. So is a good man I think of it as their cozy project. I love it. It is. It does feel like a cozy sweater to put on. And Taylor Ashton, Rachel Price's husband, who we were referencing on the show on Friday when we had Sean Rao here, because Taylor Ashton is one of the guests on Sean Rao's Foraging YouTube show. <laughs> That's true. So that is the first show that will reinaugurate the Iron Horse on May 15th. What else do we expect there, Chris? We're listing about a dozen shows that are really just this is an initial lineup of shows. It includes some old favorites who have played the Iron Horse countless times. We have soul legend Betty Lavette, who will be the, who will be coming on June fourteenth. Yeah. Yeah. We have Aaron McEwen and Spouse, who will be there on May seventeenth. Yes. We have Stephen Kellogg, will be there on my birthday on May eighteenth. Nice. Uh, and we have uh, Session Americana, Matali Banda with Kamaya Diggs, uh, The Alarm, eighties. Hair band. Yeah. Uh, we have some local legends and winter pills and the suitcase junket. Come August, we'll have uh, some incredible New Orleans music with Tuba Skinny coming. Um, we, we have Sonny Landreth and Cindy Cash Dollar on the way. And this is really just, these are just the artists that we've worked out to announce all at once here. So there is a number of other shows that will be coming out. I didn't even list everything that we're going to, that, that we'll have on our website you know, later today. But it's it's an eclectic mix. We're figuring out kind of the people that, understand the the history of the room to come in and help us get off to a great start. Sounds awesome. I also know that one Khalees Smith's band, Extemper, is slated to play at the Iron Horse as well. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yes, with Tisk Tisk Tisk. Yeah, yeah. Tisk Tisk Tisk. And Sapling, who are out of now Providence, used to be Worcester. They're both art rock bands. They're real fun. That should be great. I guess we are also art rock when you think about it. We're. It's hard to figure out what our genre is. I didn't realize that was your band. Yeah, that's my band. That's so great. We're speaking with Chris Freeman, the executive director of the Parlor Room Collective, which will be operating the Iron Horse definitely starting on May 15th. That's not why they booked us, by the way. This is not an inside job. See, Chris didn't even know Khalees was <laughs> I didn't in the even band. know. I just do. It's purely art- 
artistic. <laughs> but it is hard to fund the arts in this country, sadly, and that is part of the reason why a nonprofit like the Parlor Room Collective has taken over the Iron Horse. And as such, there are ways to get people to invest in the arts and the mission and vision of the Iron Horse going into the future that are kind of in conjunction with this first batch of shows that are being announced today. Can you talk a little bit about Iron Horse membership, what that means, and uh, what lovers of the arts would receive for being a part of that? Absolutely. There's This has been a community project from the very beginning. Really, the opportunity to open the Iron Horse came because of the community enthusiasm and passion that was surrounding the space during the years that it was closed. It's more than just the Iron Horse. It's the whole Parlor Room Collective, which includes the Parlor Room, uh, the Iron Horse, and our Musicians Workshop, which is our educational wing. Uh, we offer memberships for all of those. It gets you discounts on every show, access to pre-sales. So these shows that we're announcing now will be on sale on March 5th to Parlor Room members, and we'll have a week of member pre-sale. And uh, then they'll be on sale to the general public March 12th. And that's how all Parlor Room Collective shows will go, is they go on sale to our members for a couple days, and then they get released to the general public. Membership is free if you are on Mass Health or have an EBT card. All you got to do is come to any Parlor Room uh, event or talk to a Parlor Room staff member and we can get you signed up. Otherwise, you can go to ironhorse.org slash memberships to learn about all the different levels of membership. But we really encourage that because it's imperative for our financial stability to have people uh, making these kinds of investments in our community. It Also, it just shows that people fund the arts. People are what allow artists to go on tour and play shows. And it's just an amazing thing when we're just out there enriching each other's lives, whether that's as an artist or an audience member. It's what builds these magical moments in these magical places like the Iron Horse. May 15th, the grand reopening of the Iron Horse Music Hall under the new vision and guidance of the Parlor Room Collective and their executive director, Chris Freeman. As Chris mentioned, the first act on Wednesday, May 15th, Rachel Price and Villery. He's like Madonna. He only has one name. Rachel and Villery are coming to play to reinaugurate that hallowed musical space. It's going to be great. I'm just generally excited to see it open again. I have a lot of fondness for that place, as much stress as it gave me while I was working there. <laughs> I have no idea what you mean as far as stress and fondness. I'm sure you're not experiencing any of that right yeah, now. Yeah, no, there's no stress involved in reopening a space that's been closed for three years due to pandemic and misuse. It's been overall a delightful experience. It's been really, really amazing getting to harness the energy of our, of our community to make this place happen. So we're just so grateful to everybody for the encouragement and support uh, in making this happen. Excellent. Of course. Later, we'll get lunar when we talk with Linda Hill and Cecilia Chan of the Western Massachusetts Chinese Association about their Lunar New Year celebration at Smith Volk this Saturday. Up next, we have the meats, Sutter Meats. We'll take you to meet Terry Regassa from the local ethical sustainable butcher shop celebrating 10 years in Northampton. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. I love how you have a sign that says there is no I in team, but there is meat. <laughs> That's our motto here. We are at Sutter Meats on King Street in Northampton. What's your name? My name is Terry Regassa. I'm the owner here at Sutter Meats with my wife Susan, who's around here somewhere. Butchering something in the back. We're here with Phil Corman from CISA, the local hero folks. This table, this butcher block table, is not just 
cute kitchenware here. This is where all the butchering happens? It is, yeah. We do all the butchery here. Uh, every week we uh, get the whole animals from our local farms. Uh, today is our uh, pork butchery day. Uh, they're doing um, pigs here from Sage Farm up in Bernardston. We get uh, everything uh, slaughtered at um, Adams Farm out in Athol. They're the only middleman between us and our farms. So if we look at the counter over there, you've got all sorts of cuts of meats from all different types of animals and sausages and stuff like that. But you, I used to, when I worked in downtown Northampton, would come in and get you'd have a sandwich of the day. Yeah, yeah. because we do the whole animal. We, we do not just the cuts you see in there, but all the sausages. We render the fats for cooking. We use the bones for broths. Um, all the different offcuts, we figure out different sandwich specials to make out of. Um, today, uh, our sandwich is a, um, a chopped pastrami sandwich. So we take the, um, the breast of, um, of a cow and make our own pastrami. Uh, I think I'm getting it. I remember when you started, oh look, here's a pig. Here comes a pig yeah. to the table, a whole half pig. It's a half of a pig. Yeah, so we, our pigs come in um, split in half like this. Um, we call these market weight pigs, and they average between 180 pounds to 220 pounds. And we get about, um, well, three to four a week here. So Tyler uh, Sage, our, our farmer, he, he went from um, growing pigs for friends and family, maybe about, what, six years ago, to now doing almost 200 a year for us. You're a butcher yourself, right? You teach classes and things like that. The first classes that you were teaching like filled up so fast it was hard to get into them yeah yeah they're still they're still pretty popular we do um, uh, the pork butchery class uh, once a month but yeah I do um, I do teach the butchery class how did you get into butchery my wife and I actually we, we met um, in New York City working at Christie's auction house she was a um, graphic designer and I was a photographer and photo retoucher and we used to make all of their advertisements and um, catalogs after the uh, downturn of the economy was at 2008, mm -hmm. they laid off half the staff, including myself. So I uh, found myself uh, needing to find new work, and I had a lot of friends working in the um, hospitality and restaurant industry in New York, and I really liked cooking, but those hours were murder. Yeah. So I, my, my whole focus was more on um, the sourcing of, uh, of product and um, trying to bring people closer together to their food sources had a friend who was uh, learning butchery in, um, in the Hudson Valley of New York and they invited me up to visit the butcher shop and they took me on as an apprentice there. Then we uh, decided to, uh, after you know, opening for other people, we decided to try something on our own. So we looked all over the country for places to open. We saw that this area was uh, close to a lot of fantastic farms, a lot of young farmers, and the, the people who were here were very interested in buying locally. We were actually able to contact CESA um, who had already done a lot of market research to see if a butcher shop would work in this area and they found that it could be sustainable. So we uh, took a lot of the work off of our plate, which is awesome, and we decided to, to open here based off of uh, the information we got from them. Phil from CESA, talking with Terry Ragasa from Sutter Meats here on King Street in Northampton. So I know, Terry, you've been so busy that you haven't even been able to acknowledge it's 10 years in now. It's a full decade. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we opened January of uh, 2014. Phil, your first experience here was a kind of a, an interesting one. Yeah, I was coming into the store and a person ahead of me was like enthralled and felt like she could not believe that she reached this oasis and that, uh, you know, she had left Brooklyn five years ago and was just looking for quality and freshness and local. And Terry and his wife had pulled it off for her. 
And I think what people don't realize is that even when you're running an amazing small local business for 10 years, there are still so many people who have no idea that you're here. Here you are so close to downtown Northampton, tremendous parking and back, sandwich specials every day, classes, and still people have not come in the door. So we need them to come in the door. Well, there are plenty of people that have come in when we've been here, which is great. <laughs> How many farms did you start with? How many do you have now? Uh, so we started with, we had three farms. Now we've, we've worked with dozens, really. I, you know, we, have, we still have three primary farms. Um, it's uh, Austin Brothers in Belzertown, that's our beef. Uh, Sage Farm in Bernston, they are our pork farm. And then we have uh, the Thayer family with Splendor View Farm uh, up in Cummington, they do our lamb. And then we're also starting to do something interesting with uh, Black Birch Vineyard in, in Hatfield, where they have uh, sheep that graze their vineyards to kind of clean up around um, so they don't have to use any you know, pesticides that uh, they can really get in between all the vines to, to clean out and take all the weeds out. But then when they're done doing their job there, they don't have a home, so we're happy to give them a home here in our, in our store. I mean, we're watching them butcher. Can I talk to your butchers real quick? Sure. Yeah, what's your name? Jake Sorby. Where are you from? South Hadley. What's your name? Rebecca Morrison. Where are you from? Holyoke. How did you get become a butcher? So I was in the restaurant uh, industry for over 25 years, and um, the hours were starting to really get to me, and I wanted to do something, you know, closer to the food source, the farms, and everything like that, and uh, came here. Did you learn did on you the job? Or? Yeah. Yep. But now you got a pro. You had a bone saw out or something, whatever. Was that what? That yeah. Was? Yeah. yeah. How did you get into butchery? Same same thing. I was in the restaurant industry for a long time. Is it, yeah. is that, it like easier to butcher a pig than a cow, or is there harder animals to butcher than others? Or once you know the basic uh, mechanics of how an animal works, it's kind of basically the same. Yeah, the size is different. So some things are harder on beef just because it's you know more muscle power to rip the you know joints apart and stuff like that. Lamb is harder because there's less room for error because everything is just so much smaller. Mm -hmm. Pigs, uh, my favorite, because you can just zoom right through it and everything seems to fall apart perfectly as it's supposed to. Uh, that's why we start with our butchery classes. So it's with the uh, the pig because you can apply what you learn from the pig to any other uh, quadruped. So we have in our classes, you know, ambitious home cooks. We have people who are really interested in just sustainability. We have. Um, homestead farmers, and then we have a lot of hunters as well. You know. So they're not bringing in their deer to, sh to figure it out. They're learning yeah. on like a pig, and yeah. then they take it home to their deer or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I love that there was just a meat relay. Like someone just had ribs in their hand, and someone just grabbed the ribs from that hand and kept walking. They're already in plastic and ready for your purchase. <laughs> it's like seamless. I also love that on your board behind the butcher table here, you've got when Lent is, and also a sausage plant. Sausage plant. <laughs> <laughs> the work is just incredibly physical, and you're lifting weights, and you have cold meat working with knives. I'm curious what you do to try to ensure that one arm doesn't go itis on you only worked out his left side to like compensate for the because all the... he was working his right side at work all the time yes. yeah that makes sense and i think you should never challenge a butcher to an arm wrestling <laughs> match i don't care gender at all or height or weight you'll always lose we um do weekly wine tasting on our show and we have teetotalers that hate that we taste wine on the radio and i'm sure that there are vegans and vegetarians listening to this right now, they can't believe we've been talking so extensively Why about cutting that? up a We're pig. We're coming right? up here to prove that the tofu curtain is not just tofu. And and as you mentioned, Northampton and the, the greater Northampton area has this reputation for being vegan and vegetarian. Have you worked with people here who have 
kind of change their mind about meat and where a sustainable way of doing meat that yeah. may have been influential in that? We, we do. We have, a, you know, a lot of our customers are people who have been vegans or vegetarians and are trying to make their way back to eating meat for one way, one reason or another. We're actually probably closer in mindset to vegans or vegetarians, as you may think. Definitely closer than people who work in um, the larger farms and more of the commodity farms. You know, we're about the sustainability of the land, the, the animal welfare, and you know, the utilization of the whole product here. We, we don't like the idea of any sort of waste. If an animal has been sacrificed for the table, we want to make sure that we use as much of it as we possibly can. We also have a lot of people who are still vegetarian, but shop here for their pets. Because another part of uh, utilizing everything is to um, we take a lot of the organs that we get and we will dehydrate them for pet treats. We do a, a raw pet food mix. We um, utilize the bones for uh, dog bones or dog treats as well. So there's a lot of offerings here for people even if they don't eat the meat themselves. You can fire up the bandsaw. <laughs> Are you hungry enough to eat a pastrami sandwich? Yes. Yep. Always. <laughs> I could split one of those. And also we have uh, something unique that we make here. It's our capicola, it's uh, or gabagool. You mean gabagool? Gabagool. Over here. Gabagool, yeah. <laughs> it's not a traditional one in that it's fully cured for several weeks. It is partially cured and then slow roasted. It has all these the fantastic flavors you would expect from uh, like a traditional gabagool. And nice. it's uh, one of our more popular deli meats here. I would love to try it. Where are these being smoked or whatever? Yeah, everything is smoked here in our shop. I can take you guys on a little tour here if you want to see. It's a, it's a small shop, so you're doing a lot of stuff in this pretty tiny yeah. area. Yeah, people walk in here and they you, know, you immediately are, are hit by the aromas of yeah. usually of smoke and of something cooking. You know, we have boys say that we should talk to the Yankee Candle people to have our own uh, branded candle made out of the aroma <laughs> here in the shop. <laughs> You that one I might actually burn. Yeah, I mean, you could just do it here. You have tallow. Yeah, yeah. That's true. We do have the tallow. <laughs> we do sell, actually, a tallow candle as well. Yeah. You know, tallow bombs made from our, our fat as well. You also have a Girl Scout cookie set up here. <laughs> yeah. You've sold how many Girl Scout cookies out of the door of Sutter Meats? Oh, over, what, 500 and... 512 boxes we've ordered. <laughs> Susan, you're, the you're one of the co-owners. Yeah. Yes. And is that, like, somebody you know's Girl Scout cookie set up there? That's our daughter, Langley, who's uh -huh. eight. Uh-huh. She's going to be, like, top Girl Scout in the truth. I feel like we should mention that in the time that we've been talking, since the pig came out, it is basically done. And all to the soundtrack of Aretha Franklin, which has been amazing. <laughs> all meat should be butchered to Aretha Franklin. She sanctifies and blesses it. Now we're going in the back, and so here's where a lot of the uh, ovens and smokers oh, and things are. These. Yeah, nice. This is our capicola, or gabagool. Let's get back to that gabagool. That's made with the, uh, the collar of the pig. That's the... Uh, the top of the pork shoulder. So dig into that as you'll see it has quite like flavors of fennel, a little bit of red pepper. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, so nicely spiced. Mm -hmm. That's the real deal. Yeah, it all starts with the good quality pork too, with, um, with Tyler's pigs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are pigs that have been raised outdoors their entire life. Um, he's up on a, a hillside in uh, Bernerston, just uh, overlooking the Kringle Candle place, and then... Maybe they'll uh, make your candle. Maybe, oh, maybe we should talk to them about that, yeah. yeah. Store make, full of yeah. tallow! <laughs> yeah, so it's a beautiful location. You know, I would actually like to live there. Uh, you know, looking out into Leiden, you know, you can see out to Shelburne. Oh. Well, on top of that, there's, that's your appetizer. And then now we have... Uh, this is a pastrami, which is uh, made from the breast or navel of, a, of the cow. 
brined in like a pickling solution that we make here, similar to like what you do with corned beef. And then it's uh, smoked here in-house. And then we, we chop it up um, to put on the sandwich. It's uh, mixed with some uh, caramelized onions we made here, a little bit of sauerkraut, um, our house-made horseradish mayonnaise, and melted Swiss. And it's all on a fantastic bread that's made from a small bakery out in Florence called Little Bear Bread. He, does, he made this just for us. This is a rye ciabatta. Oh. oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. A little horse that is good stuff. And the cheese the... fall out at the beginning, and I could just see the fat and how glistening the, the pastrami is. Like, this is awesome. Yeah, it's so good. We do have a lot of people who shop here from the, the New York area. I always get excited when I when I get a phone call from somebody and I can see there's a 212 number or 917. You know, like, all right, this person, they know what they're talking about. And so then they always come in. It seems like the people from New York always come in and, and they go straight for the deli case and ask for the, the pastrami. So far, nobody has been disappointed with it. It's, you see it in their eyes when they take that bite. Like, okay, I'm back in New York. Amazing. That was super delicious. Oh, my God, yours is gone. Have you enjoyed that? I had a light breakfast. So what's the best way for people to know what classes are going on, what sandwiches is happening? Yeah, so uh, the best way is to sign up for our newsletter. You know, there's something new that we're actually working on now that's a, say like a butcher's box, like a monthly um, club where you can get a, a, a curated box of different cuts with some other local items and some prepared items that you can get once a month here. And with that, you also get discounts in the store, access to members-only classes, bunch of different things there and all that information is on, on our newsletter well it's been a cut that has gained popularity the more that people have found out about it oh yeah with pork there's the the fresh version of this capicola we call it a, just a copa steak or a capicola steak in fact um i have somebody coming in tomorrow for 10 of them um so my wife and i we were in um, in italy for our honeymoon but we started in um in ischia we have uh, some of our best friends are from there they still have a family home there so we went to stay with them. They took us up to the uh, local butcher, and I asked the guys like what his favorite cut was, and he said like without hesitating, capicola. Oh, this from a slice of gabagool. I was like, well, no, no, no. Like I mean, like a fresh cut because I only knew of it as the like the gabagool is like the cured item. He's like, no, no, no. Let me show you. So he, he brought out the pork shoulder, cut a couple of fresh steaks of the off of the, the copa, gave them to us, and said, go back to your friend's house, get a fire going, moderate heat, salt these and then put them on there. I'm gonna cook them for 13 minutes, flipping every minute, and then finish off with a squeeze of lemon. Like 13 minutes is like two sides, so one side's gonna get six, one side. He's like, trust me, just do it. So it's like, so we went back to his house, got our fire going, salted up the capicolas, flipped them every minute, finished them with a little bit of lemon, took a bite, and I don't know, it's like looking over the Mediterranean, like something like that, but knees were buckling, like this is the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> But now for the, like, the last 12 years, I've been chasing the Copa Dragon, trying to get that, that, same, that same feeling again. And I tell that to people in the class, and we sell out of Copas like, right after. Thanks again to Terry at Sutter Meats in Northampton. Coming up, another Lunar New Year celebration this weekend, this time at Smith Vogue in Florence. We'll talk with Linda Hill and Cecilia Chan from the WMA Chinese Association. And your emails in response to our Word Nerd segment about misheard lyrics and malapropisms. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, offering solar options, energy security, and solutions for the local community. Learn more at northeast-solar.com.
Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. It's Lunar New Year! And this Saturday at Smith Vogue in Florence, there will be a day-long celebration of the Year of the Dragon with the Chinese Association of Western Massachusetts. The Chinese Association of Western Massachusetts was founded about 20 years ago based on an idea that local Chinese immigrant families can celebrate traditional holidays together like they did back at home. Over the years, the celebrations became bigger and more families and communities started to participate. The association found that celebrating culture, diversity together is not only a great opportunity to teach their kids about their culture and heritage, so they can take pride in their identity, but it's also a wonderful way to enhance the connection among different cultures and communities. Joining us from the Chinese American Association, Chinese Association of Western Massachusetts is Linda Hill, who is the current president, and the newly elected vice president, Cecilia Chen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Of course. Congratulations yeah. on your recent election. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and we hear you're in charge of food at this event, so we're definitely right. going to have to so pick your brain about that. About that. Um, this is a giant celebration. This is go this is all day, <laughs> which yes. is wicked yes. cool. Yeah. Um what are some of the things that you're going to be actually, you know what, I'm going to back up. So in my understanding, like the lunar new year basically covers about two week a two week period from the new moon to the full moon. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Fifteen days to be exact. <laughs> so we're one week into it by this weekend. So you're smack dab That's in the middle of the lunar new year celebration. Absolutely. We're celebrating on the eighth day of the Lunar New Year. Mm -hmm. Oh, and so extra lucky. Yeah, <laughs> it's supposed to be money. It's like that's a day, you know, you, you know this, it's all about uh, good wealth. <laughs> yeah. So it's a great to celebrate. And yeah. it, it starts at 2 o'clock in the afternoon at Smith Vogue in yes. Florence and goes all the way through 8 o'clock in the evening. So Yes, correct. Yeah. But it's in Northampton. Yeah, Florence is part of Northampton. Oh. It's, yeah, yeah. Technically, they, they get <laughs> right. Smith, so, the people who live in Florence get upset if you say they live in Northampton. You have to say that's very true. They live in Florence. Oh, so, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard of Florence before. <laughs> it's, you've got all sorts of really exciting stuff happening as part of this New Year's celebration that I would be loving to come check out if I wasn't visiting my parents this weekend. Uh, it starts out, uh, or one of the things in the show lineup is the yes. lion dance, which uh, we talked about last time Absolutely. you were on the show uh, yes. with the Dragon Boat Festival. Yes. Tell us uh, if people didn't hear that about the lion dance and what's important about, about that celebration. Yeah, that's a major thing. It's a traditional Chinese dance that's really signify a great time of celebration. Uh, so uh, it's, it's a must have. But at our event, not only you're gonna watch the wonderful line dance team, you know they are like all practicing kung fu, you know like a a wushu. So they are very very uh, master, the masters and very skilled at this. But also we actually have a you know a line dance and dragon dance. You can experience yourself. So the kids and mom and dad can really have a, all the props up there and and learn themselves and get the photo ops. Oh, man. So that's what 2 to 5 is for. We have multiple hands-on educational culture experience for a whole family to enjoy, you know. And so we're really looking forward to have everyone. You're not just, you know, watch some programs or, you know, you everything is you can experience yourself. That's awesome. Yeah. Can you tell us about the Grand Master who's going to be uh, doing the Lion Dance and maybe they're helping you out learn a little bit about it? Oh, actually, uh, they are close to Boston. You know, we wanted to use a, a local one, but it's because of Chinese New Year season, everybody's booked. Yeah. And uh, so even though our focus 
Christian is really on local featuring Western Mass and this one. But we are very lucky because uh, one of the people on our board have a master who, and he has a big, he has, he's 80 years old. He has a lot of apprentice students. And this is one of those great students who actually start off himself after a, a Kung Fu place. And they're going to jump, do some things that uh, I don't know. It's going to be a feast you to watch. Oh, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's very special. <laughs> what are some of the other things that people can learn? Like I'm, you've got a whole map of things that are available for people to participate in. There's like not just like learning the, the lion dance and the dragon dance yeah. but there's like paper cutting and yeah. there's calligraphy yeah. like you've got yo-yo demonstrations and like and more so what are some of the other things that that people could participate in and learn Yes, there's a lot. And you have a map in front of you? I do. <laughs> yes, we do, actually. Uh, it's a cute map. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we have a great uh, marketing person. and She loves <laughs> making the designs. And uh, Dee, I'm shouting out to you if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> great job, girl. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, we have uh, many, many uh, activities that's fun for families to participate. Like besides the line dancing, there's a chess, you know, the specific Chinese chess you can play and to learn how, you know, the, the, they play. And we have a tea room, which is cool for parents. We're thinking like all the kids getting so excited. So we divide all the activity into three rooms. One is a tea room where it's quiet and play all the Zen music. Mm. So you can go in there and sit to a tea, sip your tea and be quiet and just, ah, the kids are taken care of, you know, we have a... <laughs> <laughs> in a closed space in a school area. So, and then we have a, a, a sh like the arts and crafts and the painting room, you know, they do calligraphy, painting. It's relatively quiet, but there will be talking, right? The kids, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the families. And then we have a gym where we have all this activity, physical. You, have, you can play ping pong, you can do the line dance, you do the yu yu, you learn all the things. And we have a little rest area for parents too, so they can sit down and watch their kids play. So there's a lot of things going on. Right. I know, and I would be in that gym watching the wushu demo by the Chinese Kung Fu Wushu Academy of Chicopee. That's so up my yes. alley. Yes. Uh, I can't oh, believe they I'm gonna... do a great job. Hey. We've been they having do, them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They do a great job. They have 21 kids going to perform. That's Not kids and adults. That's great. That's awesome. Now, um, we're speaking with Linda Hill, the president of the uh, Chinese Association of Western Mass and the newly inaugurated vice president, <laughs> Cecilia Chan, who's in charge of the food. And the I, we have to talk about the food because food okay. is such a big yeah. part mm -hmm. of, of Lunar New Year. So what are some of the things that are that you really want to have to, on, that are on your menu that will help you have a better year? Well, there's a lot of traditional Chinese food. Um, the food is provided by a couple of local restaurants um, in Northampton and Florence area. Um, and a, most of the food is significant to represent what we would normally eat when we're back in China or wherever you come from, Far East, uh, to celebrate Chinese New Year. This year, we actually added a very significant dessert that I love, mm -hmm. and it's very significant because I remember that when I was little. Um, I've been here for a long time. I was here at when I was eight, and so I didn't really grow up with a lot of tradition, but the only thing I really remember is what we call a sweet sesame ball, mm -hmm. and it's made with the sticky rice flour, and the inside is with uh, red bean, red bean yes. paste, and the outside is rolled with the sesame. It is so delicious, you know. So this year is a new item that we put on the menu, and it's significant. It's round, so it's significant. It's being completed 
in your life. Together. So and Reunion. together. Yep. Yeah. But there's also dumplings, and yes. I'm so happy to see fish on this menu because fish is actually like a really big thing for wealth and for right. for health yep. also. And of course, noodles to, for a long life. Long life. Yeah. Exactly. Longevity. Yep. Mm-hmm. Fish is means extra. So yeah, every extra. year, if you have extra, that's a successful year. I'm gonna show you. Oh. oh. Right here. Oh, <laughs> a red shirt with a fish on it. Two, yeah. No, two fish on it. Always. That, yeah. That's a symbol. Lucky symbol for Chinese right. New Year. Yeah. That's Perfect. why you eat fish. It's on a red shirt, no less. Yes. Yeah, no less. Awesome. Yes. Red wards off the evil, right? Yes, <laughs> yep. absolutely. Right. We encourage our families wear red and holidays, you know, traditional clothing, and they will win. They will be drawn into a, you know, a, a raffle oh, to win a um, gift card. To, right. Like we have seven gift cards to give out for people who dressed up. Oh, you know, very nice. Yep. Nice. It's the Golden Dragon Blessings Community Banquet, which is part of this all-day celebration from the Chinese Association of Western Mass. This Saturday, starting at 2 o'clock at Smith Vocational and Agricultural High School in Florence slash Northampton with all of these wonderful live performances, all this great food, all these great activities. Uh, It seems so exciting. Thank you both so much for coming in today to tell us about it. Linda Hill and Cecilia Chan, the president and vice president, respectively, of the Chinese Association of Western Mass. Thank you. Thank you you so much for having us. I can't wait to have more extra fun for you. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Learn some Kung Fu for me and bring it back. I can't (laughs) wait to, yeah. It's sold out. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) no more tickets. Okay, good. That's a great problem to have. Friday on the Fabulous 413, we get to talk to a genius certified by the MacArthur Foundation and everything local author Kelly Link's first novel, The Book of Love, was just released this week. And we'll chat with her all about bookstores, short form versus long form, and what it's like to have your genius recognized. We'll also head to a brand new location for the Tina Turner Memorial Wine Thunderdome when we visit Tip Top Wine Shop in East Hampton. And for Live Music Friday, a little chamber music for what ails you with the Tiny Glass Tavern, who will be performing at 33 Holly tomorrow night. We leave you with the artists who will be uh, reopening the Iron Horse on May 15th, Rachel and Villery. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Kali Smith. We'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413. But he-